Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding me that you're needed here. We want you here. We want by your Holy Spirit that you communicate to our hearts. We, we have great needs ourselves, but as far as we're learning, it is by meeting the needs of others that our needs will be met. And what a wonderful, what a wonderful concept that is. And we just pray that you would give us grace to believe it and to bring our lives into harmony with that very principle. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at the story of the Good Samaritan this morning. And uh, there's a good reason why the Good Samaritan was called Good. He came down the trail, whatever the trail was like, and he saw a wounded man, and he stopped to help this wounded man. Now, it's probably fair to say that if the situation had been reversed, that if the Israelite who was wounded there in the ditch had found the Samaritan lying there, he probably would have spit in his face and kept right on going. But it didn't matter to the Samaritan. There was a need there, and he went out right away to meet that need. Now, you know also in the story that there's two other individuals that go by this wounded man. Both of them are Israelites. One of them is a priest, and one of them is a Levite. Now, I have a couple of quotations here. This is Christ's Object Lessons 382. And it says there, the spirit... Excuse me, the priest and the Levite had been for worship to the temple whose service was appointed by God himself. To participate in that service was a great and exalted privilege. Yeah. But then they felt it was beneath them to minister to an unknown sufferer by the wayside. And she finishes this quotation, and I've skipped a few lines here. Many today are making... A similar mistake. So that's why we need to be awake to what we're, he- we're hearing this morning. In uh, volume three of the testimonies, three, fifth, uh, excuse me, 524, if we neglect the cases of the needy and the unfortunate that are brought under our notice, no matter who they may be, we have no assurance of eternal life. Can you imagine? I mean, isn't that heavy? Yeah, it can make a person tremble, for sure. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you think that being a Hebrew was important to the priest and the Levite? Yeah, yeah, it was important. They put a lot of stock in being the children of Abraham, didn't they? As a matter of fact, they put so much stock in being the children of Abraham that by virtue of being the children of Abraham, they thought they had salvation. It was an automatic thing. That's a lot of stock to put in there because I'm just wondering what they were thinking. Were there not Israelites around them who were worse than the Gentiles? Probably. And how could they, how could they balance this thing? I have no clue. Do you think that the scriptures were important to these people? Do you think that the promises of God and the commandments of God were important to these people? Yes, it was an amazing thing to see how important these things were. But apparently, being a medical missionary didn't carry much weight with them at all. Well, friends, let me ask you a question. Is your Adventism important to you? Oh, it's important to me. It really, really is. I grew up in a Catholic home until I was... 
25 and I began reading the Bible when I was 25 years old and a lot of you have heard my testimony before so I'm just going to give you a, just a little snapshot. When I began reading the Bible I immediately recognized in my head that there was no point my going to the priest for an interpretation of the Bible. There wasn't even any point going to the, the nearest Protestant minister, whoever they are, Jehovah Witness or Mormon or anything else for that matter, uh, to get an interpretation of the Bible because every single one of them would tell me they have the truth. And I knew for a fact that I didn't have the brains. I didn't have the discernment to be able to decide who had the truth and who had not the truth. And so with that, I decided to tell God that I would not go and ask anyone to interpret the Bible. I was going to read the Bible. And I told God, I'm going to read the Bible and anything you tell me, I will do. And so he did. He taught me about the Sabbath, the state of the dead, paying tithe, the spirit of prophecy even. He told me about the spirit. I knew Ellen White was a prophet before I knew a Seventh-day Adventist existed. And it was an amazing thing. I began to pray that the Lord would guide me to his true church. I, there had to be one, right? And it's a long story. And all of these things just are replete with, with miracles in my life, which has held me pretty firm. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing when God does something for you. Do you know that the Lord put me in the Adventist church and and the Bible became super important, as more than important. He, 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 just the Lord had blessed. Because when I got to the Seventh-day Adventist church, there isn't a thing I had to change in my thinking. Everything that God had taught me through the scriptures was reflected in the Seventh-day Adventist church, or vice versa. I don't know exactly what you'd say. Yeah. And it's amazing. And so the Bible became super important unto me. But also the spirit of prophecy. As soon as I became aware that there was an Ellen White in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a modern-day prophet. I went to the ABC and I bought every single book with her name on it. Costs a fortune, by the way. Uh. <laughs> no, it did. And I bought every book and I have been reading and reading and reading and reading them over and over and over again. And I credit the spirit of prophecy uh, as much as the Bible for what I know of the scriptures and what I know of the Lord. What a blessing that is. It's important, isn't it? Is Adventism important to you? Is the Bible important to you? The spirit of prophecy? Oh, I hope so. The commandments of God and, and the promises, the promises of God, amazing promises that God has made to us. It does hardly make sense, some of these promises. All things work together for good, you understand. What a promise that is, especially when so many bad things happen to us. And yet we can still believe that the work he's begun in us, he will perform. Amen. Is that true? Yes, Can you believe it? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Oh, friends, it's amazing to me. Well, let me tell you what. In spite of the fact that I believe all of these things, and I believe it with all my heart, if in the end it does not translate for me to go out and help the people when I see a need, then it means nothing at all. If like the priest and the Levite, we neglect to minister to the people who have a need around us. It's just that simple. It's amazing, but it is that simple. And it doesn't matter, friends, what we do to be saved. Whether we join the church, read the Bible for hours and pray for hours on end, organize potluck, eat nothing but tofu, whatever it is, obey the law with all of our hearts. If we do not love enough to minister to the people, then we are not saved. Do you know there's a Bible verse, there's a verse in the Bible that tells us that we can tell whether we are saved or not? 
I mean, wouldn't that be a, a, a wonderful blessing? Well, it's there. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. And we'll come back to the, the parable, no, not the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan in just a second. So we're in 1 John chapter 3. I want you to see this verse. It'll tell you in an instant whether you are saved or not. Isn't that a blessing? We're looking, I don't even know. Yeah, we're looking at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. It's talking about being born again. By the way, we're all born dead, right? We're all born in sin and trespasses. And, and we have the evidence of it in our lives. It's quite clear. But we can pass from this spiritual death to life. And we know it, that we have passed from death to life. It says here, because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Is there anyone in the world you don't love? Now there's plenty of people who've done you harm, I assume, because it happens to everyone at one time or another. And so you may have reason enough to find someone that you pretty well detest uh, or despise. But friends, listen, that isn't how a Christian operates. That isn't what Christianity, that isn't what Jesus Christ puts in our hearts. When we accept him as our Savior, we become like our Savior. And if we are like our Savior, forgiveness is automatic. Forgiveness is in our hearts. Verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our time, our energy, our money, our lives, whatever things, our health even, yeah, for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Well, we don't have to answer that question. It's implied and you know the answer. So turn back with me to Luke chapter 19 and we're looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. Verse 25 in Luke chapter 19. Excuse me, it's Luke chapter 10. I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Luke chapter 10, we're looking at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Amazing, wonderful question. Probably the most important question any man can ask himself or any woman, any child. We want to know that what we need to do in order to find our way into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I had been Jesus, of course, I would have said do. Well, you don't have to do anything, of course. You cannot do anything to gain eternal life. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. You cannot work for it. It's a free gift. That's what I would have said. Now, would that have been a wrong answer? No, it would have been the right answer. However, Jesus, who is in closer connection with the Lord than I am, I was going to say perhaps I am, never mind, he was <laughs> in closer connection with his father and, and his father could communicate directly with him and God knows that every man will not be found at the same place. God knows exactly what to say, how to say it, when to say it and in what spirit to say it and so he communicated that to Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what to say to this man. I wish we had, this. we can have this experience by the way, yeah. Jesus said, he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned, right? 
that I may speak a word in season. We can speak a word in season when the Lord tells us what it is to speak and when to speak. And by the way, timing is important too. We can have that experience. Don't you wish you could have that experience? We can. Oh, Lord, help us. It's coming. It's coming. As Pastor Finley was telling us last night, there will be a latter rain. The Holy Spirit will be poured out upon God's people. And when he does, we're going to go through the whole world. And the whole world will be lightened with the glory of God's character. We will know what to say, when to say it, and with what spirit to say it in. And it will be just right. Okay, verse 26. Verse 26. He said unto him, What is written in the law? How do you read? Yeah, yeah. And then... In the response, we can tell that the man has been to Sabbath school because he knows the right answer. In verse 27, you can see that. He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And with that, of course, Jesus commends him in verse 28, and he said to him, You have answered right this do, and thou shalt live. But friends, here's the rub. It's so much easier to say the right thing than to have the right experience. And so I think this is what was happening to the young man. To, I think he's young. Anyway, he was a lawyer there. We often know how to say things we don't know how to do. And this is what the experience he was having. Apparently, it seems like it was an experience that he was having. He knew the answer, but he did not have the experience somehow. And so he tried to justify himself. You can see that in the next verse, verse 29. But he willing to justify himself, that is, justify himself from not, for, from not doing the thing that he should have been doing, he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Do you know what he was trying to say here? It was easy for the Jews to know who was not their neighbor, at least to one point or another. For sure, the Gentiles, the ungodly people out there, they're not our, our neighbors. Do you know how bad they are? And do you know that they worship wood and stone and, and idols made of brass and other things, whatever it is? Obviously, they're not our neighbors. We don't have to bother our heads with them. That's how they thought, of course, right? But they had a bigger problem when it came to their Israelite brethren because there are some Israelites that acted like Gentiles. Well, now, how are we going to relate to them? Are they our neighbor? And then, even worse than that, there are some of our Israelites brothers who go to, to synagogue on Sabbath, and they pay tithe, and they keep the Sabbath, and they do all that they're supposed to do, but they eat between meals or something like that. And then, that brings on the... Are they our neighbors? I mean, at what point do you draw the line? And this is what he's trying to say to Jesus. And he thought, boy, there's no way to know where to draw the line. Therefore, I've got him. His back is against the wall. That's what he was thinking. Did he have Jesus' back against the wall, do you think? No. No. So Jesus has two questions to answer this morning. And the one question is, what must I do to, be, to have eternal life? And the other one is... Who is my neighbor? And by the time he's finished telling the story, we have the answer to both. So we're in Luke chapter 10. Now again, we go to verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, at the place, came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. Now, did you notice it says in verse um, 31 that by chance there came a priest and a Levite? Was it really by chance, do you think? Uh, it's amazing. I don't want to contradict the Bible. <laughs> the Bible here says it's by chance. And I'm thinking, really by chance? Do you know that in Desire of Ages, page 500, and forgive me, I don't have the quotation ahead of me. I was preaching two, two Sabbaths ago in Kentucky, and I l forgot my Bible there. We had potluck, and it was a wonderful potluck. And, and I set my Bible down somewhere, walked out of it, and went home without it. So... Anyways, Dr. Naren James is bringing the thing to me. Um, uh, I think he may have brought it already, at least yesterday. But I wasn't there, so I'm here. So I don't have the quotation. However, it says by Ellen White's words that it was not by chance that these people passed by. The Lord fully intended that they should pass by so that they could see what was going on. And so the thing worked, of course. The priest and the, Le the, 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 the Levite did come by, and in coming by, they saw the man. Well, God's, God's um, wish was done here. They had seen what God wanted them to see. But was that all of it? Why well, have no, no. They didn't, the Lord didn't organize this so that they could come by and see. They were supposed to see and do something about it, right? But they didn't. When Jesus came down to this world, do you know that it was not by chance? No. And he came down to see as well. But he did not come down only to see. He came down to see and to save us out of the situation we are in, and that's exactly what God expects of his people today. Again, another quotation that's in Christ's Object Lessons, 388, paragraph 0. It says, never. Now, I don't have the quotations, I'll paraphrase it. Never are we to pass by a suffering soul in need of anything. Never. Not very often, Elder Frizee would say. Never is not very often, is it? No, it isn't. It's never. It says that when we come in contact with suffering, it should call us out of our selfishness. How does it call us out of our selfishness? Well, it doesn't call us out of our selfishness unless we do something about the situation that we find these people in. In Christian Service 161, paragraph 2, he has a plan for us individually. Everybody knows that, right? Do you know that you were born for a reason? Do you know that God has work for you to do? Mark chapter 13, verse 34. To every man, to every woman, he gives his work. You're here for a reason, and there's plenty of work to do for the Lord. So he has a plan for you, for me, individually. To all who serve him, he has appointed a work. He bids us to interest ourselves in every case. How many? every case of suffering or need that shall come to our knowledge. Wow. What would happen if 21 million Seventh-day Adventists lived by this principle? Do you think? I mean, would, would anything be different in the world? Oh, it would be an amazing thing. Never mind 21 million, supposing as only half of the Seventh-day Adventists lived by this principle, the whole world will be, would be lightened with the glory of God's character. Absolutely. If every Seventh-day Adventist worked to meet every need as they recognize the need. 
The Lord would open our eyes, we would see it, and by the way, he would give us the wherewithal to meet the need. Now, we don't always have the wherewithal. I mean, I'm not a doctor. If I see somebody that needs an appendectomy, <laughs> well, don't ask me to do it. And, and, and even if, if we were in the jungle, there's only two of us, I, whew, I don't know what I would do. What would you do if you're not a, if you're, if you're not a surgeon, right, to, to do this? Nevertheless, friends, there's always something we can do. Do you know how far a smile can go? There's some people who never smile. It's amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, we need to smile more than we do. We need to have a good word to say to everyone that we meet. Do you know there's a God in heaven? Do you know how good he is? Do the people around you know it? Have you told them? Every time you meet someone, it should be on our lips, don't you think? Yes, it should. There's something we can do to be a blessing to people. And it doesn't take very much. That, that, that is a fallacy, I think, that some people, or that the devil has, has impressed upon our hearts that, well, I don't have very much to offer. Who am I anyway? Ah, friends, listen. People are lonely. People are hurting. People hardly see anyone smile at them for one reason or another. All of it would help. In Desire of Ages, page 87, paragraph 1. Jesus worked to relieve every case. How many? Every case of suffering that he saw. Amazing. That's, it's a principle of life. Every time he saw someone with a need, he worked to meet their needs. Uh, volume 4, Bible Commentary, 1151, paragraph 1. All the needy who come to our notice are to be helped but especially those who are suffering for the truth's sake. So there you are. That's our mandate. That's what God expects from you. That's what God expects from me. And if we went about our Father's business, a lot would be accomplished to his glory. Back to Luke chapter 10. We're looking at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Do you think it was by chance that this Samaritan came by? Do you think that every Samaritan in Samaria had the spirit that this man had? Well, I doubt it very much, right? How is it that it was this Samaritan that came by? Well, because God... Ha Do you know that God is in control? He's in absolute control, isn't he? He is. And so... Jesus, he knew that his son would be in the situation he's, he's in. And so Jesus organized for the priest and the Levite to go by. Jesus organized for the Samaritan to go by because he would, by this experience, contrast the spirit of the priest and the Levite with the spirit of the good Samaritan that came by also. So he was contrasting the love of the Gentile with the Jews' despicable behavior their exclusive tendencies. What about us? Here's a man who will do for his enemies what his enemies would never think to do for him. Beloved, Jesus is the good Samaritan. That's what it says in Christ Object Lessons 381. This Samaritan represents Christ. And it isn't a parable. It's a story that, Jesus, that really happened and that Jesus used. It wasn't by chance 
that Jesus came to this world. It wasn't by chance that the Samaritan came by at this time, or the priest or the Levite. It isn't by chance that you are here today, right? In, in heavenly, no, yeah, in heavenly places, page 265, do you know what it says? He is the orderer of all our experiences. How many? All of them? Really? Yeah. In ministry of healing, 417, he orders that which his providence sees best. Really? All things do work together for good, don't they? Well, there are some things that don't work together for good. Did you know that too? Yeah. Everything that comes at me from outside of me works together for my good. But I, from inside of me, can make decisions that would destroy my life in this world and eternally as well. Yeah. If I could see the end from the beginning, I would choose no other way to be led than the way that God is leading me. Is that true? I fully believe, friends, listen. If I am in heaven for a hundred years and I decide to look back on my Christian experience, do you think I'll ever come to a point where I could say, right there is where God made a mistake in my case? Do you think I'll ever come to that situation? No, no. So then what are you complaining about? No, really. If God is the orderer of all your experiences and he only orders that which your providence, his providence sees best, if all things work together for good, if we could see the end from the beginning, we would choose no other way, then whatever it is you're going through is going to come out good. <laughs> Nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Nothing. Ah, but we've been hurt so often. Yeah, big picture. Jesus is saying when you get to heaven, you'll never be able to point back to a time when anything really, really hurt you. You're in heaven, aren't you? Yes. Lord, help us. So anyway, God is in perfect control and, and everyone was in the place they were supposed to be. And it's too bad for the man who got hurt, but he had a good experience too. Luke chapter 10, verse 34. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beasts and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And so the man went to him. He didn't ask which day he kept. He didn't ask if he paid tithe or to whom he paid tithe. He didn't have a list of conditions that the man had to meet before he would help him. He didn't organize a contract or a repayment plan. He didn't ask him if he had any insurance that would cover the expense. None of it. The man had a need. He was there. There wasn't anyone else around. And he went to work to help this need. And he bound up his wounds. What a blessing. And so the Bible says, with his stripes, we are healed. I guess I shared that verse yesterday telling you about my vertigo and all this sort of stuff. How hard is it to believe that with his stripes we are healed? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, with his stripes we were healed, past tense. Are we really? <laughs> That's an amazing promise, isn't it? And how hard it is to believe when we don't feel well or something is going wrong. But friends, this is the scripture. This is God's promise. This is true. And it's speaking, I suppose, more spiritually than physically. However, you know, I take God's promises to be what they are, as true as possible. In First Selected Messages 392, Christ made satisfaction for the guilt of the whole world. 
When? Well, at the cross of Calvary. Our sin has been expiated, put away, cast into the depth of the sea. Really? What would your life be like? What would my life be like if I actually believed this? Jesus went to the cross. He paid the penalty for every sin that I have or ever will commit. He's thrown it all into the depths of the sea. I am free. I am forgiven. Jesus has taken my place. He's died the death that I deserve to die. And the gift is mine. It goes on in the next page, two pages beyond. That's first selected messages, 394. The Lord would have his people sound in the faith, not ignorant of his, their, the great salvation so abundantly provided for them. They are not to look forward, thinking that at some future time a great work is to be done for them. The work is now complete. The work is what? Now, a quotation like that scares Seventh-day Adventists quite a bit. I, I understand. But it is nevertheless come from this pen of inspiration. The work is what? Now complete. That's right. But notice, notice, before we all go off on the tangent, the work for them is now complete. All that Jesus needed to do, he has done. It does not say that the work in them is now complete. And so Jesus went to the cross, and it is important for us to know that his work is complete, what he has done for us, because we're told in um, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, don't you know the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you know that it is important for us to know what Jesus has done for us if we're ever going to believe what Jesus can do in us? There's a lot of people who cannot... I mean, they'll take half of this, of this concept and say, well, Jesus has done it all. It's all finished. It's all done for us. Praise the Lord. We can live as we want. That isn't true. That isn't true. But if we don't know that Jesus has done everything for us, how will we find the faith to believe that he can finish the work in us? That needs to be finished. And do you know sanctification is a work of a lifetime? And the work that he is doing in us never feels like it is finished? Because, because we cannot be like Jesus in the ultimate sense of the word. We are not God, are we? We come short of the glory of God in how many things? All things. How many things do you do as well as God can do it? So you come short, right? And Jesus makes up makes up the deficiency with the work that he has done for us. Praise the Lord for that. And now he's working in your life, the work he's begun in you, he will perform, he's promised to do it. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we will be like him, right? Is it true? Then, then the next verse, and I don't know if I can bring it up to memory, but the next verse says, if we believe this, if we understand this, if we have this hope in us, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. So don't stop working on the purification of your own soul. <laughs> but work at it from the standpoint of knowing what God has done for you. And the impetus to keep on going, the hope to keep on going, lies right there, what Jesus has done. Amen. Amen. Luke 10, 35. We're done. Luke 10, 35. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever that you spend more, when I come again, I will repay. And so this is just like Jesus is speaking to us also. Here he's come to seek and save the lost. That's us. 
and he has done what he's can, and the work that he had to do is complete, and he says to his father, anything more, put it on my account. Anything more, put it on my account. I, I can handle this. I'll carry them through. I'm going to get them to the kingdom. That's what he wants. Well, what did the man who was hurt in the ditch do towards his own recovery? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. All that he could do was express his gratitude and live as the man demonstrated to him. Yeah. So now, do you know who your neighbor is? Everyone who has a need is my neighbor. And if you don't have a need, you're my neighbor too. <laughs> and do you know what to do to inherit eternal life? Ah, friends, look to Jesus. Accept with gratitude all that he has done for you. He has taken your sin to the cross of Calvary. He has paid the price. And now he is sending influences into the world by the Holy Spirit and by his holy angels and by the preachers and by your neighbor, whoever it might be, working to get you point by point closer and closer to being more and more like Jesus. One of these days... He's going to pour his Holy Spirit upon us. And by us, the whole world will be lightened with the glory of God, God's character in us. That's what it's going to be. What a blessed thing, don't you think? Yes. God bless you. Um, let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we appreciate with all of our hearts that thou art our good Samaritan, that you did all that you did on our behalf and that our hope of salvation is in what you have done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bless us with understanding and uh, may we put our hearts and minds to living like you live, to meet the needs of every suffering, needy soul. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.